WFYI podcast brought to you by Bloomington, Indiana, an American college town offering food and drink, college sports, outdoor activities, live music, cool art, and good times daily. Everyone is welcome in Bloomington. More information at visitbloomington.com. It's time to hear what's good, what's bad, and what's ugly at the cinemas and on DVD. Get ready for Wait for it! Film Sociology with WFYI's film guru. Kaiser Shizzy! No, that's Matthew Sosie. It's such a fine line between stupid and clever. Yes. Let's find out how thin the line is. Here's your host, Matthew Sosie. Calling all stations. Clear the air lanes, clear all air lanes for the big broadcast. Hello, film lovers. Welcome to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD to the Point and WFYI.org. If you have a question or a comment, you can email me at msocy, that's M-S-O-C-E-Y, at WFYI.org. I'm also on Facebook. Good, come back, Cope. Um, if you have a question or a comment, you can email me there. I'm also on Facebook. The show is available as a podcast. It's also available on iTunes. And you uh, you have a blog that you can check out at filmsociology.tumblr.com. Man who's still waiting for his Tebow jersey to arrive, but really wants to attend Easter Mass in New York City, Kobe Slagle. Hello, hello. And sitting in with me, well, a man who has his own intro. Ah, oh, man. See, you hit me. You hit me with it. Shall I? Shall Will we try someone again? shut that man up? <laughs> Never! What's a Nubian? Blackest brother in the galaxy. Nubian God. What's a Nubian? Will someone shut that man up? Never! Not bad, huh? Never! <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, radio miscreant and founder of IndiePolitics.org, Abdul Team Shabazz. Probably not for much longer after that. No. <laughs> you are a miscreant. Oh, yes, we are. That makes you sound like a comic class. Oh, a miscreant. <laughs> <laughs> now, I have to give proper credit. The, the, the intro you heard was lifted from YouTube via uh, WCIU, I believe, tw- Channel 26 to U. And the reason why Abdul is here with me... Uh, well, because we enjoy his present company, and uh, he's not a Nicky Blaine yet. And, <laughs> yes, but uh, but we have a very very special interview to air for you in in just a little bit. Those who are longtime followers of of uh, Mr. Shabazz and myself, um, when we first met, one of the things that we found mutual ground on was the love of the local horror show host. Not the horror shows. That's a different. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's a different, different program. That's a different show. Um, and of course, here in Indianapolis, we have Sammy Terry, who's been on the show many times. Uh, growing up uh, north of Detroit in Flint, Michigan, uh, we had Sir Graves Gasly, and then in Chicago, you had Son yeah, of Spenguli. Yeah, Son of Spenguli. It was the Friday, Saturday night sort of creature feature. Exactly. Pick your bad horror film. The thing with eight heads and two eyes. That's, that's with Ray Milan, Rosie Greer, <laughs> uh, four other football players, and four other Oscar winners. And something with Shelly Winters in it, too. Right, exactly. So anyway, um, we for years have been saying, we, we should try to get, and his name is Rich Coase, and he still works at WCIU, Channel 2060U in Chicago. Still does Spanguli every Saturday in, in in Chicago. But we found the local slant, which is why we have him on the show, is that his show, Spanguli, is on Saturday nights at 10 o'clock on MeTV. Which, and, and to look for it, it's a 13.3, so WTHR's 13.3 channel. And I think you said on cable it's in the 200s. On cable it's in the 250s. It's up there. So look for it's, it's right after the movie stuff, but right before you get to hockey. See, so so f- <laughs> well, folks, do a little research if you're interested. Do, you know, it's do a no, little no, like, listener like, because the HBOs are like in the 300s, and then there's like the hockey stuff, and then there's like that. Okay. Now, what, now, what provider are you talking about? Well, that's if you're Comcast. Okay. Yeah. Or you can go to metv.com, I believe, and, <laughs> and find out your zip code. where it's in your city and you can find it. Anyway, we're going to talk with Rich Coase in just a little bit, as well as a cameo appearance by my daughter and my partner, H.W., also known as Emma Sosi, the kids' film correspondent. She actually asked some pretty good questions. I was she very does. impressed. She's, the most, she's probably the best-spoken 10-year-old in, on Earth. Named Sosi. Yeah. <laughs> and she gets it definitely from her mother's side of the family. 
Man, I should I should have said that first. I, you know, actually, I said that when she came out of the womb. <laughs> I was like, damn, I'm third <laughs> in everything. So uh, we'll get to that a little bit. Oh, yeah, while, while we mentioned the smarter two-thirds, uh, a big tip of the hat and shout-out to the cast and crew of Thornton Wilder's The Skin of Our Teeth, which opens tonight and runs tomorrow, as well as next Friday and Saturday at Earlham College. So if you need a road trip to the east side of the state, feel free. You just can't crash at my place. <laughs> that's so, my job. That's your job. <laughs> right. All right. So um, I ain't getting no last seventy. What's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we got some some films. We, we'll talk about some films that open. That well, should not have opened. Well, I, I guess, yeah, American Reunion opened in theaters today. And I think the only reason why this film was made is because everybody involved was available. Mm. Everybody. Mm. Everybody. I Means not a whole lot of work after American Pie, huh? I well, I guess. So that's that's out there. And uh <laughs> Well, I'm sorry. It was you know, I'm, I'm sorry. Okay, the first American Pie. Okay, I'll give you the every. It, I'll admit every generation has, has its, to have their gross-out comedy. You no, know, whether it's Porky's, Animal House, whatever. So yeah. and, and old school. But I guess uh, and then there's Mr. Biggs and the the Apple Pie. Yeah. Okay. And it gets. I get the joke. Guys running for girls is mutual. It's universal, and sometimes not exclusive. So you yes, know, they, they only made one Animal House for good reason. Right. Right. So, but the. But yeah, they're they're all available. So that's that's out there, as well as at the art cinema. I think uh, pardon my, I've heard my Japanese. I mean, Jiro dreams of sushi, J I R O. Jiro. Jiro, not Jiro. That's a Greek sandwich. Also, also <laughs> dreams of sushi. Anyway, that is that is also in town. But what is that, by the way? It's a documentary about a uh, sushi chef. See. <laughs> Really? Yes, really. Somebody put documentary Sushi. fish. Sushimovie.com. <laughs> now, what do we do for the next 90 Sushi, minutes? What? Sushimovie.com? Oh, by Sushimovie.com. That's, that's what I said. Here's a side order of rice. We're done. Okay. Okay. But also, I guess, apparently it's a big deal that on uh, this past Wednesday, Titanic was released, only this time in 3D. Hmm. Okay. Um, I rooted for the iceberg. <laughs> only time I've rooted for something white in the movie to beat something black. I'm just saying. <laughs> but actually, I was in Titanic. Actually, this will surprise you. I was actually in Titanic the Musical. Were you? Yes. Were you the band? Actually, no. <laughs> I was uh, one of the... Uh, you also like... had the white You had the white wig. <laughs> no, actually, I was one of the engineers. Actually, I was the guy who uh, gave the order to speed up the Titanic. Scotty. <laughs> yes. Literally, literally, yeah, to hit the iceberg. No, uh, back in 2002, uh, the Springfield... And I was really lived in Springfield, Illinois. The Outdoor Municipal Opera. We did Titanic the musical. I mean, it was actually done really right. Well, it was also the year I got sworn in as an attorney. So we did my swearing-in ceremony literally on the stage oh of the Titanic which, before the play started. Which explains a lot. Yeah, and my my best line was at the end of the movie, folks. When I die, the sharks don't attack me out of professional courtesy. <laughs> I thought you were also singing, and I'm not. I'm telling you, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> So Titanic is now re-released in 3D, even though James Cameron, I think at one time, made fun of people putting 3D into movies that weren't 3D. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. Well, um, I guess he's got to do all the you know the prep work for the film he's going to make after going down like eight miles underwater. Not not going to eight mile. Yeah, not making the, that in 3D. Yeah, not eight millimeter in 3D. <laughs> oh, no, watch hardcore. Better, <laughs> but same idea, better execution, yeah. so to speak. Um, okay. I, and I know this this tends to be a very polarizing film. People obviously either swoon over it or they can't stand it. Um, and it's okay to actually be in between on this one. Um, this is a film that, yes, once the iceberg hits, it's a really well-crafted action film. Getting there, however, <laughs> I, I remember calling it when I first saw it, it's, it's an Irwin Allen film with less subplots. And no spaceship or cool robot. <laughs> well, no, it's not the T, but it's, you know, the only thing missing were the little squares or little rectangles with every, you know, Kurt Jurgens as the general and yep. William Holden and Richard Chamberlain, all this, you know, because you got, you got the. Like, you know, if this was an airport, if this was 1977, right. this would be an airport movie. This George the... Kennedy would be talking the sh- captain into, you know. This is a Poseidon adventure. It, it is the Poseidon adventure. So, in fact, we, oh, we got to get to that because the Poseidon adventure just came out on Blu-ray this week. Why? Co- coincidence? 
Why? Because the, the big, second one, the big or ship, the, or the first movie, one, the, the the first one with the deep deep and sea Ernest diver, Borgnine and deep sea diving Shelley Winters and Captain yeah. Leslie Nielsen, and uh, yeah, so that's which. One. By the way, when we watched that in college, the only way most of us only knew Leslie Nielsen is from The Naked Gun, so everybody just dies laughing. Got that's uh, you got to work on your history there. So you, you you taught him that. So yeah, it's you got the the boy and the girl. Good side of the tracks, bad side of the poor side of the tracks. There's Billy Zane, and then the Phantom. The Phantom, yes. And you got Kathy Bates, who's actually very good in this. And then there's the whole thing about the beginning, at the very beginning, and the very end with Gloria Stewart, and she's old, and even though she's not built like Kate Winslet, maybe that disappeared. Oh, guess what? She's got the diamond. Boy meets girl. Boy loses girl. Ship goes down. (laughs) (laughs) So I mean, it's it's just you know, Cameron's strength is not obviously screenwriting no or script it's visual and it's it's impressive visually hey this is an avatar <laughs> there's no blue there's hey, no blue, blue uhura running around in this by the way what is it with you people i mean you people avatar every time you people go somewhere you're always like whether it's the indians you know or the blue people out of space I'm like god white people <laughs> five minutes just can't you go somewhere and not mess stuff up and leave people alone. It, I'm sorry, is this turning into Abdul the Morning's <laughs> Greatest Hits? You ever see, ever see Apocalypto? I was like, man! I didn't want to see that one either. And when they see it, when at the end of the movie, oh look, Spanish Galleons, great! You thought life was bad now! It's like, <laughs> why don't you stay home and take care of your own business? <laughs> and thus the gated community was born. <laughs> sorry. No, that's that's a good rant. So I remember. I remember my that inner one. Trayvon. That's okay. Ooh, <laughs> careful, very careful. All right, so, so yeah, it's out there. I guess who's seeing this? Do we um, know who's seeing this? Does Fair Sweet Bianca want to see Titanic? Oh and... yeah, oh yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. And would you tell her? Sure. <laughs> sure. Yes, dear. No, you told yes. her. Yeah, here's the movie times right here. <laughs> yeah, we got it right here. <laughs> see these facts. Yeah, so mm-hmm. so you're like, and and as soon as you you get done watching that, we can watch Black Mama, White Mama, <laughs> Fair's Fair. Fair's Fair. Yeah, so, okay, well, enjoy seeing it. I know you will. No, actually, you should see Black Mama, White Mama first. Then she'll be so offended and annoyed, she'll never want to see another movie anytime soon. And then you surprise her with Titanic <laughs> in 3D. Yeah, as a Christmas present. There you go. Ta-da! <laughs> All right, let's. You, these young people. Just I know. We'll, we'll, we'll just sit on the front stoop and watch you. <laughs> I know what you're doing over there. That boy's a running fool, so oh, sad. <laughs> the, that fool don't fall far from the trees, that's for sure. That, that's nothing but the old shuffle. <laughs> All right, so we're done talking about Titanic. So we will talk about something that aired this week on PBS. Oh, no, we're not no. talking about Hunger Games. We're, we already got Thank that. You. Yeah, we're done. Um, but it's this is a, a documentary that uh, hit the festival circuit. PBS showed it this week, and WFYI is going to show it again on April 9th at 9 o'clock on WFYI 1. And then on WFYI 3, see, we're all about the cable channels and HG channels here on Film Sociology. But the documentary, Being Elmo, about Kevin Clash, the voice of Elmo, brother, by the way. So doing, doing the voice of a little red monster, the little red monster that could. Here's a trailer. When I was nine years old, it was just a dream that I had. Wow, I wish that I could work with the Muppets. Hello. Hi, this is Kevin Class from Sesame Street. How are you? Kevin is most comfortable when he is Elmo. Thank you for coming. Kiss, 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 kiss. Mm-hmm. Elmo's happy now. How many kids went out and built their own puppets? He was in high school. He had guys that would pick on him, said he was playing with dolls. He faced a lot of opposition, but he just stuck with his dream. If I could have climbed on the set of Sesame Street, I would have tried. And I thought, who is creating this? Hello there. My name is Jim Henson, and I'm a puppeteer. I wanted to see everything that Jim was doing. This is who I would like to be. He jumped from high school right to New York. Richard Hunt was totally fed up with this character. Tossed him in Kevin's lap. What am I going to do with him? And uh, I said, hello, this is Elmo. Fine, uh, give it a try. And then I got it. I knew that Elmo should represent love. I didn't know that this was going to happen with Elmo. It's very difficult to make a piece of fabric react like a human being would. But Kevin, oh my gosh, he's brilliant and 
everybody wanted Elmo, 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 Elmo. I started traveling so much. I'd be in Japan, China, South Africa. There needed to be an additional performer, and Kevin was like, no, I can do it. That's when I knew that this was bigger than me. When a puppet is true and good and meaningful, it's the soul of the puppeteer that you're seeing. The thing that people love about Elmo is he needs them. I attribute that to Kevin because of his embodiment of this character. He really does exemplify what Jim Henson began with, something that touched everyone. If everybody else your age is doing something very different to what you're doing, there's always going to be someone saying that you might not succeed, you might not make any money with that. All of those things will go away if you really focus on what makes you happy. Well, I, I have to admit, before watching this, not the biggest fan of Elmo. And I think part of it is, well, for, for one thing, I haven't watched Sesame Street in a long time until until I had a child in the house. Um, also felt that... And then you understood? And then I understood again. <laughs> I understood it all again. made sense. It all made sense. Um, but because I think because of the, the fast, fast rise of Elmo's character and it became almost it felt like it became the the center of focus on Sesame Street. Yeah. So therefore the Urkel of Sesame Street. <laughs> I mean he's going to be on Dancing with the Stars too. Well I mean th- if you think about it it was you know yes I yes I'm actually talking about family matters on HD radio <laughs> but that was an ensemble piece until the little cousin Oliver character no <laughs> Urkel came in and basically uh, t- you know, took over the program, and it felt like that with Sesame Street. Now, to be fair, it was Elmo's World, and that was really about it. But the the I think what probably some parents have an issue with was also, and they, you see this in the documentary. You know, remember when Tickle Me Elmo came out, and it was the toy that if you didn't get it, you were a bad parent, or you had to knock people over at the store, or throw them throw them through a plate I mean, glass it was window. A cabbage Patch doll. Right. Every and of course every generation has that toy. Yeah, that... but but at the same time though, which with all due respect, you know the people complain about Elmo. It's stuff like Elmo that keeps public radio and public broadcasting. Oh, no doubt. Up and running because you know without the licenses and the royalties and you know tickle me Elmo the the, the flamethrower the lunchbox the breakfast cereal, <laughs> you know the kids love. May the Schwartz be with you. You know they. <laughs> we... Kobe, do we have the uh, Elmo flamethrower? We have to check in the prize. Bin. I need to check. Yeah, I need to check. The we'll check the closet. Check. Let's check. Uh, let's call Washington on that one. And Merchandising. That's where all the real money's made. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, yogurt. But this, I didn't know a whole lot about Kevin Clash the person, and that's really what the big a big chunk of this is about, and the fact that you know he was able to get in touch with henson and his brood uh to get in and you know it, so it part of it is a rise rise to fame the you know starting out at the bottom and working your way up but uh the guy's just so darn nice very sweet guy and there's a moment where you he we talk about him as a younger youngin where he gets to go and kind of be an apprentice and we get to see him do the exact same thing from a different standpoint um, this guy works his butt off, obviously, between Make-A-Wish foundations and traveling, and there's footage of him in France helping out with the French version. So don't you uh, feel really bad now about yourself? That I criticized him? Um, maybe not him, but maybe <laughs> may, maybe the, the soccer moms and everybody else that absolutely, positively uh, would... Knock would over die. another human being. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, no, I don't think I'm changing my attitude on it. I'm, I'm adjusting it. Just like I will say, Titanic is not the worst movie ever made. It's just, it's not, it shouldn't be the greatest movie ever made. Mm. Just like, I don't think Leonardo DiCaprio wished to be on the cover of Teen Beat and Tiger Beat when he was yeah. trying to be an act, when he was trying to be a serious actor in 1997. You but know. then along came J. Edgar. <laughs> we'll work on this DiCaprio's work later. But but I think it, so much the fans. It's, it's like... Um, I love the character. I can't... The fan base. Yeah. It's you, like going to a Watchmen Movie. Movie. Or, or I don't know, watching Tebow play. Or, or anytime I dare to bring up that I'm not a fan of a Christmas story, and people... I think there's something wrong with yes, that. Yes, like you, you've just wiped yourself with the American flag, and you hate you hate America and cinema and all that. You used to get those calls. All the time. Why do you hate America? I hate America, sir. What are you, what are you t- I hate people like you in America. 
So, yeah, love the character, love the guy, hate the soccer moms who knock people over for presents. There. Oh, love the Elmo, hate the Elmo fan. There you go. So, and yes, my child is child's a fan, but not the not Veruca when it comes to wanting to get the toy. But but the, and you get a lot of insight with Kevin. You also know that he's separated, so and work was a part of that. So and he brings up the fact that um, he's going around the world entertaining kids, and he's got a kid at home. So it it is it's not a, a complete rosy picture. Almost like profile. a Mark Zuckerberg. He sends his girlfriend the Facebook request well, at that, the end of the if movie. If that dude just got therapy, we would we would not be as big as social networking nerds as we just, already are. Just think how great a president he'd have been if someone had just given him a hug as a child or, and let him play football. <laughs> While we're, while we're back at 1430's Greatest Hits and we do five-minute theater, somebody check out the Voorhees kid. Exactly. Oscar, can I crash for you a few days? No. no. Sure, I'll buy a painting, Adolf. <laughs> so, Eddie, what sure, is... Sure, you can join the circus as a clown. No problem. <laughs> now, there's one you hadn't heard. I like that. The, you know you know what, Calpurnia? I think I'll stay home. Yeah. That's Julius Caesar, not to kill a mockingbird. Just... <laughs> yeah, you kids can date. <laughs> yeah, what are we, Juliet? What are we doing here? Yeah. I still maintain that. Just had call waiting. One of those kids might still be alive today. I believe you, Desdemona. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Okay, honey. All right. What does this all have to do with anything about being Elmo? Just go watch it. It's on. Yes. yes, <laughs> yes. yes. It's on WFYI 1, April 9th at 9 o'clock, and then it'll be on WFYI 3 on uh, May 2nd at 8 p.m. Whew. (laughs) AM and FM crashing together. (laughs) All right, we're going to take a short break, and we'll talk about what's new on DVD and Blu-ray, and then our big triumphant interview with Rich Coase. You're listening to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD to the Point and (laughs) WFYI.org. Welcome, Abdul. <laughs> Why, welcome, Mr. Sosa. <laughs> welcome back to Film Sociology, so <laughs> a film talk show here on WFYI HD to the Point and WFYI.org. If you have a question or a comment, you can email me at msociatewfyi.org. I'm also on Facebook, Abdul Kim Shabazz of IndiePolitics.org. Abdul at IndiePolitics.org. And Kobe Slago hanging out with you. Massive fun. Um, one other thing to mark your calendars with. Uh, Keystone Arts up on the north side have announced their Midnight Movie Series, their Midnight Madness Series for the summer, starting with June 1st and 2nd, 7, June 8th and 9th, Rushmore, June 15th and the 16th, The Room. Yes. Which means, of course, June 15th, we'll hear my interview with Tommy Wiseau once again. Yep. June 22nd and the 23rd, The Shining. June 29th mm. and the 30th, you're seeing that one, Kobe. I've seen that already. Ah, shoot. Okay. June 29th and 30th, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Ooh. July. You don't like that? I don't like Zach Braff. It's not Zach Braff. Oh, wait, no. I'm it's thinking Jim of Jim Carrey. I'm thinking of Garden State. Great. 
Yeah. Let's move on. <laughs> July 6th and 7th, Jurassic Park. Awesome. July 13th and 14th, Fight Club. Awesome. July yeah. Nah, July 20th, we're the black people. Yeah. <laughs> July 20th and 21st, Ghostbusters. And now Ju- that I would. Okay, it's true. The man has no. All right. <laughs> and finally, July 27th and 28th, The Big Lebowski. Righteous. There you go. All right. Before we get to our interview with Rich Coase, we'll plow through these quickly. What's new on DVD and Blu-ray this week? Warhorse, which somehow got a Best Picture nomination. Why? I don't know. <laughs> I will say this. It does make me want to see the play, which I know is going to be considerably different than the film, but it's a horse that goes through almost a Gumpian adventure involving being in England during World War II. All I know is it was, it was, no, it, it was no black beauty, I'll tell you that. Your life story? Exactly. That's where we go. <laughs> the black stallion is not about Denzel Washington. <laughs> Ooh, thank you. I'm sorry, my special guest Geraldine is in studio. <laughs> what you see? Is, it's really not my Geraldine get? voice, but okay. Oh, I see. Oh, my my apologies. <laughs> uh, we also have the Cameron Crowe film, We Bought a Zoo, with Matt Damon. We'll move on. All right, old titles out on DVD or on Blu-ray. If you want to, if you want these on Blu-ray, you can get them now. Chinatown, great film noir. And if you enjoy Daniel Day-Lewis, you should check out John Huston in this film. Got a little bit of inspiration. Madonna, Truth or Dare. Yeah, I know. Back in 1990, it was a big deal. It was a big deal. It was a big deal. And I have a story about that, which I'll tell much, much later. The Grapes of Wrath with uh, Henry Fonda, directed by John Ford. Ah, speaking of PBS... The, the most recent version of Great Expectations with the most beautiful Mrs. Havisham in the world, played by Gillian Anderson. That mm-hmm. is also out there. Girls Just Want to Have Fun with a young Sarah Jessica Parker and a Sarah young Jessica Helen Hunt. Gina's not here. Less horsey in yeah. that one. No, she, and no, Sarah Jessica Parker is not in War Horse. Um, also, <laughs> Zorba the Greek, for you Anthony Quinn fans out there. West Side Story. Are you fans of sharks and jets? I'm more like, I like to be in America. That was my favorite song in West Side You're a male Rita Moreno. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you guys! <laughs> Abdul was also not so easy reader. <laughs> Problem is, he'd always, he'd, he'd help the electric company, but he's always reading Ulysses. <laughs> don't you, what do you mean you kids don't get this? Spider-Man, dude, come on. That's right. And uh, also because of Titanic 3D, uh... The Poseidon Adventures, I said, is out on Blu-ray, as is the 1953 version of Titanic with Clifton Webb and Barbara Stenwick. I've actually seen that. It's shorter. It's shorter, and actually, <laughs> no I would Billy argue... Zane. Actually, it's kind of... The, the ending is actually a little bit even more disturbing when you just see the people who are, like, the boat turned over, yep. and they're trying to stay on, and you have other human beings trying to get to the boat, and they have to, like, use the paddle oars to mm. push them off, or, like, everybody will die. Uh-huh. So it's actually kind of toward the end. Not bad for 1953. Yeah. And then, and by the way, where were the black people? <laughs> Underwater. They didn't quite make it off and, the boat. And if you see us on the street, you can ask us why we keep asking that question. <laughs> we just don't want to be at somebody's expense. We don't feel like telling you. No, they're listening right now. So, yes. Yeah. And we love them. Um, and then for some reason, there is a box set of the Prophecy film series with Christopher Walken. Like the original? Or the... The, no, 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 no. This is, this is in the Prophecy collection. One, three, four, and five. Okay. But not the second one. Why is that? Who dropped the ball on the rights for that second film? Or who's being? Or who's... maybe the, maybe the smart person says we know we spent enough. <laughs> right. So that is out there as well. All right, ladies and gentlemen, if you go to metv.com or thirteen point three WTHR, you can on Saturday nights you can see Swanguli, which is a horror show host out of Chicago. He's best known as Rich Coes, uh, but. Uh, Earlier this week, Abdul, myself, and kids' film correspondent Emma Sosi got to speak with Rich about the history of his show, all the uh, changes and evolutions and channels, and how he... We were total and complete dorks, <laughs> is what we were, and loved every minute Yeah, of we it. were kind of nerdy. We were majorly nerdy uh, with this interview, and how Spanguli can now be seen in Indianapolis. Here's the interview. All right, Emma, you, you start things off. You're ladies first, and you're the youngest, so... So, um, as Spanguli, do you have a pattern of what movies you show? Yeah, we have to actually schedule them way ahead of time. 
mm-hmm. because we got this special package from Universal's uh, library, and those movies have not run in a lot of cities on broadcast TV in a very long time. Mm-hmm. And we had to actually set up our schedule about, you know, at the beginning of the two-year run to get it all in organized. Okay, um, another question I have is, um, where did you get Kerwin from? Well, actually, Kerwin was created by somebody who works with us here, uh, and it was actually a surprise to me. Nobody told me about it. It was like a gift. Uh, Kerwin is made out of <laughs> several different components. One is like one of those sort of alligator-type toys that you get at zoos where it's just the head and you pull the trigger and his mouth moves, mm-hmm. and a rubber chicken. And uh, Jessica Hope Carlton, who works on one of the children's shows here at our stations, yeah. actually put him together and uh, created him. And we decided that with his look with those eyes and the goofy teeth and everything, that he was kind of like young Jerry Lewis, which is <laughs> why he kind of talks like this. Yeah. So are we going to see Kerwin in The Day the Clown Cried? <laughs> I could only hope. <laughs> Please let me out of this concentration camp. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm sorry. Continue with your questions, Emma. Sorry. Um, when you're not on duty, what kind of moody, movies do you like to watch? Wow, you know, it's funny because I, I like a lot of different types of movies for different reasons. I do like uh, old classics, you know, the black and white ones from the 30s and 40s, and I'm always interested in seeing them. I especially like seeing, you know, like the the sort of 40s and 50s detective movies and such. I really like seeing those. But I, and I do like horror movies. I don't know that I like all of the horror movies that come out now that are a lot of blood and guts and things like that, and a lot of shaky camera movement because, quite honestly, I get seasick real easily from that. But I, I, I especially, I have to say, yeah, I like comedies and I do like all the uh, superhero movies. I'm especially looking forward to. The Avengers coming out. And then my last question is, um, have you ever met Sammy Terry? No, I never have. I never had the opportunity to do so. I know of him, but I have never met him. Okay, Emma, can the grown-ups now do the interview? Yeah. All right, thank you. Does that mean I have to leave? <laughs> no, you you stay. You're, you, it's... Oh, I'm one of the grown-ups now. Okay. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Now, I say, um, like I said, Abdul grew up in Chicago. I grew up in uh, Flint, Michigan, so I got to see your brief stint on uh, Channel 50 in Detroit. Okay, sure. Back in the early 80s. So I guess uh, we'll, start, we'll start with, how did you get involved with uh, with television? I Actually, it's, it's an odd story and something that doesn't happen all the time. I was a fan of uh, Jerry G. Bishop, who was a radio and TV personality here in Chicago, and he actually was the original Sven Gulli on WFLD here in town. And it started out just as a voiceover thing because he happened to be the announcer who was on duty during the time they were running horror movies on Friday nights. And he kind of created this character that at first was just done voiceover and then eventually graduated to, you know, being a full video show with the video reps and such. And I was in Northwestern University at the time and was just a fan of his from both his radio and TV stuff and started sending him material because he would, you know, read jokes from people that were sent in. And he learned a little bit about what I was doing, uh, going to school for broadcasting and such. And he liked some of the stuff I wrote. And he started to say, hey, could you write a parody of, you know, some sort of commercial that was on the air at the time or something? And I did that. And he'd request specific bits. And eventually I ended up working with him on the show. And that was how I got into this. And uh, along the way, we worked together in radio and did various things. And at one point, he was getting set to move out to San Diego where he had a TV gig lined up, and he said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, well, maybe I'll try to you know, pitch somebody here on a local TV show or something. He said, I tell you what, if you want to be son of Sven Gulli, I'll give you my blessing, and you can do it. This was something that we had talked about because uh, there was a chance of doing that one summer during the time that he was still in town here, and nothing ever happened with it, and it kind of fell through. But he said, you know, if you want to try doing it, go ahead. And uh, I did, and I Chopped it around to a bunch of stations, and the bottom line was eventually one of them took me in, and uh, and I started in 1979 on WFLD in Chicago. And this is going to sound really weird, Rich, but I actually remember growing up your first episode. Don't ask me why I remember this, because I'm just my total inner dorkdom. The first movie you guys showed was in the year 2889. You are correct, sir. Yes. <laughs> that, is, that is exactly right. Because it was that really bad, horrible 
end of the world. We live like the radiation, but the mountains keep them out. And there was the woman whose husband turned into the creature thing. It was it was just really bad. But for some strange reason, it sticks just like yesterday. It, it was a very weak movie. And the funny thing was all the ads for that. At the time, I, I was going to be son of Svengoolie. And some of the people at the station said, well, that's no good. You have to have a real name. And so the ads just said, featuring our new host. Wow. <laughs> oh, man. And I eventually convinced them, just use the son of Svengoolie name. People will recognize it. That's what happened when you have management who have, you know, just come into town two years before, you know, you start the show or something. They, they had no idea of the history. What did you learn the most from Jerry when it comes to television? Wow. I, I learned an awful lot working with him, both in TV and radio. One thing that I learned was that you have to be very, very aware of how important your crew is. And he always treated them with a great deal of respect and understood what all their jobs were, which actually made the whole production go much better. And, you know, I've seen that at various other places that I worked, you know, people who, you know, acted like they were the big star and they didn't have to worry about this stuff. And, uh, you know, that kind of connection with the people that you work with was so important and it made everything work better. And, it, you know, it also made the people who worked with him you know, have a kind of loyalty to him. And uh, you could notice that right away, that they cared about what they were doing. And uh, that wasn't the case on every show that they worked on. So that that was a very important thing I learned from him, along with all sorts of things about just comic timing and, and acting and uh, reacting to things. So how did you guys, uh, because like I said, you know, just what I remember you know, growing up watching, then some of the clips that you see on YouTube, now, what was the creative process like? Uh, did you guys like, okay, it's Monday, the show's going to air Saturday, here are the jokes, here's the bit we're going to do with Doug and with Zaman T. Stone Jr., and here's that Go Hawaiian Transfusion commercial we're going to do? Basically, uh, I'd screen the movie, and then I'd, I'd you know, just start writing it. I'd, I'd just write it myself. I'd figure out a song and tell Doug, Doug which song we were going to play so he could learn it, and that was before I even had the words for it. We'd just figure out how much of the song we were going to do. And, you know, it's always been the the first time that I actually try singing the song is in the studio right before we record it. <laughs> so, wow. Uh, yeah, that was it. It was basically, you know, we screen the mo I'd screen the movie, I'd write it, and then we'd go in usually near the end of the week and record the show. And, uh, you know, we'd just record the bits. We didn't roll in the movie. And, and that was the process. And we did it mostly uh, along the lines of, of live to tape. So back then, there wasn't too much editing done on the show at all. It was like whatever we did in the studio. That's why sometimes in those old clips, you'll see something that's like a technical mistake or something, and it was just like, well, we don't have time to do it again. <laughs> no, Jeff, Jeff Bridges says there are no mistakes. Those are gifts. Um, yes, exactly. <laughs> I, I'll go along with that. But, but what's cool is watching watching both of you is is how long these single takes are. I mean, it's, you know, the, to be able to... No cutaways, nothing like that. It just—I I remember there was one where Jerry was walking around a used car lot, and I know you have lots of monologues uh, for your, for your bits. And uh, you know, is it usually one two takes when you get those? Really, yeah, it is for the most part. We do everything just—you know. First of all, we don't have the time to do a lot of you know very extensive blocking and going through it over and over again it's a matter of you know just with the economy at any tv station it's like you have to get in there get things done and get out of the way for whatever has to happen next and yeah pretty much uh, that's why at times there are things that are shall we say gifts that show up <laughs> the things that we do because uh you know if, if it's something that i think you know the audience appreciates that I mean, if it's really something major that doesn't quite work, we'll, we'll start again. But most of the time, we manage to get, get everything through there. So I have to ask you, did you ever get any grief from Solosi and Edelson or the Empire Carpet Guy? <laughs> we never got any grief from Solosi and Edelson, but we did get grief once or twice from the Empire Carpet Guy. And it was not from the company. It was from him personally. I mean, I don't like to speak ill of the dead, but I, I always got the feeling that Lynn Haldren, the Empire Carpet Man, did not enjoy the fact that I was imitating him. And he once he actually had me do an actual Empire commercial where I played a bunch of different parts, not him, of course. Uh, and I think he thought that if he had me do that commercial, 
that I would stop, you know, making fun of Empire and him. But uh, I guess that didn't happen. Because I, I think the bit was you did like you know the vampire carpet guy. Yeah. Right. That was that was it exactly. Yeah, I, I don't think he really cared for it. I mean, the times that I met him, he was very civil and very nice, but I just got the feeling that maybe it kind of bothered him a little bit that I was imitating him. How about the town of Berwyn? How did that start? <laughs> How about the town of Berwyn? <laughs> uh, the town of Berwyn, that whole thing happened really because of two different things, That one of which I was not aware of at the time. Uh, Jerry had just come from Cleveland years before where he was – on TV against uh, Ernie Anderson, Goulardi, a very famous mm-hmm. horror host. And Ernie Anderson used to make fun of a local uh, suburb of Cleveland called Parma. And so that was one thing Jerry thought of. And also, at the time that Jerry was doing his show, that was when Rowan and Martin's laughing was kind of winding down. Right. But they were still making their jokes, as was Johnny Carson, about beautiful downtown Burbank and would make, like, small-town jokes about it. And he wanted to have some place that would be, like, an equivalent of that. And the little town of Berwyn that had a parade every year in honor of mushrooms and who one of the main drags seemed to be all savings and loans and used car lots uh, <laughs> seemed like the perfect uh, place to use. Wow. wow, so I, somewhere I think uh, Downers Grove and Wheaton are shaking their brows in relief. And Aurora, oh, it could have been know, us. They're, or they're jealous, you know. <laughs> they're going, if only we could have been Berwyn. So in, in the, so in the thousands of movies you know, that you'd have to see and sit through and, and script, I'm assuming you know, some would always be you know, a little bit easier than others. But did there ever come a point where you're just sitting there and you're like, you know what, this is retarded. This is the most stupid <laughs> movie I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, there there have been a couple of them. One that we had for a brief time, I think it was called something like Midnight Movie Massacre. And the whole point was something where all these people went to this movie theater to watch a horror movie, and some sort of alien spacecraft landed on the roof and then went inside this alien and was killing people off. And uh, it was just so incredibly bad with uh, unfunny attempts at humor through much of it. And uh, it was just a terrible movie, and, you know, I, we, we, we ran it, certainly, and I found ways to go around it, but it was one of the ones where I'm sitting there going, you know, if I had a chance, I would tell them no thank you on this one. <laughs> when, when did Spence Around begin? Spence Around actually began, uh, it's funny, because we really attribute that to Jerry, because he, he didn't call it that back then. But when he happened to be the announcer on duty, he was a staff announcer as well as, you know, playing Sven Gulli and doing talk shows and stuff, he'd still draw duty on uh, Friday nights when he had the show on. And just to amuse himself and the guys that were working there, they would pull out his collection of sound effects and add them in during the movie. I always thought that was so hilarious. And then uh, when, when I started, the very first week the movie was short, and they said, well, you can do like a tease for the next movie. So they, they pulled the reels of that, and actually it was a movie that ended up never running because the the general manager after the first week said, we got to show give this guy better movies. <laughs> but the, the, the movie tease did air at the end of that first, in the year 2889, and uh, what they did was they just ran a portion of it, and they superimposed me in the corner which sounds remarkably like Mystery Science Theater. Hmm. <laughs> and I just was making smart cracks through the whole thing. And then along the way, there were times when we did special shows. We didn't really get to drop stuff into most of the shows because the station worked very differently from when Jerry was there. Uh, we did a couple special things like where we would do Spence Around during just one scene of the movie. And uh, that we did when we first came here to the station at now where they, we, I've been doing the show now for well, almost 16 years. And uh, after that, we got to the point where there were times when we could you know, just take certain little scenes from the movie so as not to mess up the whole movie, especially if it was a good movie. And we'd redub lines and add things in along the way. And every so often now, we'll still throw you know, a little sound effect in here and there through the whole movie. Yeah, because I was going to ask. Uh... Th- that, th- your sound effects collection is amazing. We want a box set of it. <laughs> <laughs> Just like so I can do the yeah, Bur, yeah. just like so I can do the Burwin thing. Well, and you, oh, I, yes. you, you mentioned.
mention random ones. I showed we were watching uh, the Mole People. What a perfect soundbite after the end of that long, boring academic monologue of "Ah, oh, shut up, will you?" <laughs> yeah. Well, back when I was at uh, at SLD, when I was son of Svengooly, we actually uh, chroma keyed me into that scene, and I was standing in the background while he was giving his whole <laughs> speech, and I don't remember exactly what I did because it's been a long time. <laughs> But we didn't have the time to do that, unfortunately, on this run. So how easy, difficult was it to take uh, the Sun and from Channel 32, WFLD-TV, over to the U? Uh, actually, not that difficult at all, really, because <laughs> there, there was time in between. Uh, I ended, uh, or actually they ended, the <laughs> Sun and show right before they became a Fox station in 1986, because, you know, that wasn't suitable for a fine network that they were going to have. What, Sven is fair and balanced? What are you talking about? Trust me, I'd much rather take the son of Sven Gooley than Bill O'Reilly and Morton Downey Jr. any day. So. <laughs> well, that, that was when their main uh, gun was going to be the late-night Joan Rivers show. Oh, oh yeah. That's, oh, that talk about terrifying. Really, yeah. And so I, I was out of there then. Then I came back, and I did uh, the show The Co-Zone, which was uh, at first just me as myself doing a movie-hosted show, and that evolved into me hosting three Stooges shorts, and then when the Fox Network decided that they were going to have hosted kids' blocks of shows, uh, that fell to me. <laughs> so I was there. But then it was, you know, between 1986, I did the spend stuff in 1995 at Channel 26 in Chicago. And by that time, you know, nobody from management was even around who had been at FLD during that time, so they didn't know anything. Not that they had any right to it anyway. How did the deal with MeTV begin? Oh, that that's kind of cool. Um, our boss, Neil Saban, has always been like a real, you know, guy who looked towards the future and came up with unusual ideas. And uh, when he first established WCIU as the U here in Chicago in 1995, previously it had been, you know, uh, a Spanish-language station. And, and a stock market a, a station. Broadcast. Yes, they ran the Stock Market Observer every day with uh, stock market news all day from the morning right through to about 2.30 in the afternoon. And he had convinced the uh, folks in charge here that he could make it into a viable independent station, and he did. And he continued to work on other stations for them and uh, came up with the idea for this network since, uh, you know, TV land was no longer really what it set up to be with the classic TV shows. And Agreed. Such. Yeah, and and uh, he said, you know, we could do this, and he worked very hard to establish, you know, enough contacts and enough people around the country that we could actually make this a real network. He got, you know, people that you would never expect. He talked to Carl Reiner, and Carl Reiner was so impressed with the idea that that was why he allowed us to run the uh, Dick Van Dyke shows. He he believed in what you know, in the fact that we really cared about these shows. Now, did you have to invite him over for dinner, and then hilarity ensues? <laughs> oh, no, they had him over, actually, for a big event uh, tied in with the Museum of Broadcasting here. And uh, nobody tripped over any Ottomans or anything like that or stole his toupee. But, uh, <laughs> it was really cool because he, he really appreciated the fact that we cared about the shows that we were showing. Now, is it, now, is it strictly universal with MeTV? Right now it is. Uh, that may change in the future. I know that, uh, from what I can tell, people are very pleased with the Universal stuff. I know a lot of people ask about, you know, more B-type movies, and that may make its way in eventually. But right now, I think that's one of the draws. I think, as I mentioned earlier, uh, a lot of the Universal stuff has not aired on free, over-the-air broadcast TV in decades in a lot of cities. And we're kind of bringing this to a new audience, and it's been very well received. And right now, MeTV is on in about 80% of the country. And that happened in just about a year's time, which is pretty amazing. Well, all I ask my friend is that if you ever show Zontar the thing from Venus, please email Matt Sosi so I can be there to watch. That movie was well, awesome. I have to tell you, we, we are running that this month on one of our other local stations here, just in the Chicago area, on U2. Okay, I have to tell my uh, dad to set the DVR to record it. <laughs> definitely. It's at 3 o'clock on U2, one of these upcoming uh, 
Saturday, so tell them to be prepared for that. One of the things I've really enjoyed watching uh, with the with the MeTV broadcast is that you've you've kind of become also an ambassador, not only for old movies, but you occasionally bring up other hosts from different markets. And I mean, this is a lost art. So we're, I mean, as as a fan, we're I'm really happy that you've kind of grabbed the torch on this one. Well, it is interesting because even when I was just doing the show here in Chicago. It became very evident that you know the the horror movie host it kind of was as some people were putting it it's like a dinosaur you know almost extinct and one of the reasons is the way that TV stations work these days if you're going to do any sort of local programming most of the time it's going to be news and public affairs and you know occasionally some sort of like wacky magazine show where, where can I find the best pizza in Chicago. <laughs> PM magazine. Nobody, no, nobody really did uh, sort of entertainment type show anymore, just because they didn't feel it was economically viable. And yet, the people that I worked for here and Neil Saban, who I mentioned earlier, they believed in you know doing this homegrown type original stuff. And uh, they said at the beginning, they said, you know, I'm not sure if we'll make money on this or not, but it's something we want to do because we think it's worth preserving. And so it has been, and now I've been lucky enough now to be able to do it nationally on uh, on the MeTV network. And meanwhile, there are not many people who are doing it just on broadcast TV. There's a handful, I think, around the country. And for the most part, most of the hosts doing it are on, uh, like, cable access in various cities. Right. Now, have I heard, did you wind up ever seeing the uh, the alter ego of, of your character on Glee? Yes, I did. That was kind of unusual. I knew nothing about it, and one day somebody from our sales department brings in this article from a local paper saying, do you know about this? And it was uh, quotes from the father of the creator of Glee, who grew up in this area, and it said, yeah, he's going to be doing this character based on Sven Gulli. I think it's called Sven Bully or something. <laughs> and it's like, okay. And I was like, wait a minute. So all of a sudden everybody's like, there's going to be a Sven Gulli on Glee tonight? So people were watching. And, you know, it, it didn't look much like me, nor did he act much like me. But it was meant as like a nice little, you know, shout-out type thing. No, I was saying you got a you got a following with Glee. You got a following because I know somebody from Mystery Science Theater grew up in the Chicago area, and and now you got two major film nerds in Indiana. So you got you got to come to a convention <laughs> down here. Well, that's that's cool. It's it's nice. Uh, I I don't know if I'm going to be doing too much traveling yet, but they keep talking about the fact that. You know, now that we're on all these cities, there's a good chance that people are going to want me to come out and do public appearances. So I think that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, it'll be interesting to meet all these people because I'm getting a lot of emails from all over the country and Canada. Even <laughs> somehow we've leaked into Canada. Nice. And, we'll have to check uh, your baggage then. <laughs> and <laughs> just as, as you were saying, um, a lot of these say we used to have, you know, fill in the blank here, you know, Doctor Dead Guy or whatever. In all these different markets, everybody had their own horror show host, and they were like, you know, it's been years since I've seen something like that, and it's so cool to have this back. And uh, that's a nice compliment because, you know, most people, when they see one of these hosts, it's like, you know, your first horror movie host is your favorite, and nobody can touch him. Darn right. Rich Coe, Son of Sengouli, rocks. (laughs) (laughs) But but it's nice that they've kind of, you know, adopted me and not said, you know, you suck, you know. Mr. Skullface was much better. <laughs> so so I, I think it's a real compliment that they've accepted the show and that we're hearing such nice compliments from around the country. But, uh, but Rich, thank you. Thank you so much. And, and of course, the three of us want to come and, and hurl chickens at you sometime. <laughs> I'm sure that that could happen someday. We, we only do our shows now. Everybody thinks we do it once a week. But because of, you know, everything that goes on at this station, what we usually do now is we have a bunch of days where we'll do a bunch of shows. And then, you know, then they actually take the set down, which they never used to do, so that there's room for other things in the studios now and, and do that. So we do the sort of gang shooting type thing. So it, Don't don't say gang shooting. We we had no. that down here. Hey, Boogie Wooga Bugle Boy Berwin. <laughs> Very cool. Okay, thank you all. I appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, everyone, this is Tommy Wiseau, and you're listening now to Film Sociology at the WFYI Indianapolis. Thanks, Tommy. And, yes, that was uh, Abdul Kim Shabazz, Emma Sosi, and yours truly talking to Rich Coase, a.k.a. Svenguli. 
It's so much easier when you embrace your inner dorkdom and just give it a big hug. <laughs> yeah, Big Bang Theory's got nothing on it. Now, if I get Mrs. Associate dressed like Penny. Uh, but Sven Gulli is on MeTV, which is uh, WTHR 13.3. Otherwise, check your cable company to find out where it is. Tomorrow night at 10 o'clock, they are showing the 1973 horror movie, Sounds like steam going off in here. Yes, they actually made a movie. It's Dirk I think Benedict. It's, he's a giant Starbuck from uh, Battlestar Galactica and the, the A-Team. A-team. But he's, he's, he's a, a half-man, he, half-snake. Who works and, for, and he's he, not a lawyer, I know. No, and he works for mad scientist Struther Martin. We love the fact that it's a starring vehicle for Struther Martin. Struther. But yeah, 1973, I believe it's seven S's for the official title. And this is from the Universal canon. A few things I learned about it, and hopefully, I'm sure Sven will bring this up, this film was the, along with The Boy Who Cried Werewolf, yes, also shown on Spanguli, I, I did the research, was the last double feature Universal ever released in 1973. Mm, how fitting. For good reason, right. And also, the guy who directed this directed the 1959 Attack of the Giant Leeches. Now, that movie was awesome. As well as Hot Rod Girl and a lot of TV, a lot, a lot of TV, so... Um, by the way, Young Apprentice, you haven't lived until you've seen Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Yeah. I have it. We'll add it to your account. Okay. That's theme music. Soaks Flicks account. <laughs> I do love that theme. You know what's even better? Eric Kunzel, when he was alive in the Cincinnati Pops Orchestra, you know, they, they there was a period where they were pumping out like five albums a year of, of TV and movie themes. They did one of sci-fi and horror, and they got a choir to sing Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Wow. It was very cool. So, yeah, so Sven is on. I'm sorry, it's not everything is American Reunion, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and we're so we're not a, looking at Kobe. We're listening at you through so, the radio. Such a, such a fine piece of, of, of theater literature. All right, so so go check out Sven and, and Rich. And, I, and you're going to hear another interview with Rich Coase and I uh, soon, fairly soon. So now uh, we're going to incorporate a little bit of what is Kobe watching. So do you have your theme music? <laughs> My theme music. Your, your theme and now song. it's time for What is Kobe Watching? What is Kobe Watching? Now, you've caught up with your pile. Yep. Your film pile is smaller than your film pile, Mr. Shabazz. Just noting. <laughs> uh, you, you finally watched Notorious. Yes. The Hitchcock film, not the B.I.G. biopic. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, Ingrid, Ingrid Ber- Bergman. Yep. And Cary Grant. Mm-hmm. And Claude Rains. Yes. And you call—I believe you called her '40s hot. Yeah, yeah. It's, but it's an excellent film nonetheless. It is, absolutely, no question. <laughs> He's gonna run home and watch Casablanca, <laughs> big time. Shocked. I think, Shocked. Also with Claude Rains. So uh, I think Spellbound might be next for you. The other Hitchcock film with Ingrid Bergman. And then you also watched Bridge on the River Kwai. Badass. <laughs> Alec Guinness mm-hmm. and or William Holden. Yep. Obi Wan Kenobi. That's right. So fine, David Lean. Film. Still got yeah. Bullet. And now this. Well, yes, I, I brought you the documentary Once in a Lifetime, which is a documentary about the New York Cosmos of the North American Soccer League in the 70s. I bring this up because soccer star Giorgio Canalia, who was a member of the Cosmos, died this past week at the age of 65. One of the big stars of the Cosmos, along with Pele. And uh, it was if you watch this, it, it's about the... You know, the 70s were a different time, as you know, Mr. Slagle. Yep. But the excess of nature of the team as well as the sport, kind of like, you know, the NHL, where they eventually the NASL had too many damn teams or cities that have no business having a professional sports team. Mm-hmm. So, but Canagula uh, is in this, doesn't fare very well in the movie, in mm-hmm. the documentary. Canagula, was that the movie? That's a, you sure it was Roman Polanski? No, we're not talking about that. We're going to move on. And finally, finally, quickly, we get to Into the Archives, where I f- talk about a film that's available on Warner Archives, or as Kobe likes to put it. Yeah, I'll, be, I'll burn it for like five bucks. Ken Russell's The Music Lovers. This is, of course, Ken Russell, the man who gave us Tommy, Listomania, Women in Love. And yes, he gave us a movie starring Richard Chamberlain and Glenda Jackson. Richard Chamberlain is Tchaikovsky, who's gay. Glenda Jackson, who plays his wife. Who's, who's, an infoma- who's an infomaniac and not. And hilarity ensues. In the Ken Russell film, <laughs> yeah, you do. With a, Give it a great soundtrack. So, um, yeah, it was kind of the master, little bits of Masterpiece Theater moments with some really 
big moments of visual mayhem. So go check that out. Here's some words to live by. Silent Breed is people! Zardoz has spoken. Oh, by the way, the documentary Bully finally got its PG-13 rating, so the world is a better place. Yep, everyone's sure safe now. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The children are our future. Abdul, thanks for hanging out with us today. <laughs> hey, great to be here. Thanks for the interview with Rich Coase. Thanks, Rich. Thanks, stop Emma. Stop bullying me! Stop. <laughs> Don't bully me, Daniel! <laughs> and IndiePolitics.org. IndiePolitics.org. What are you blabbing about this week? Uh, residency issues, poll numbers, and... Welcome back, Dr. White. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> On behalf of Abdul and the lovely Mrs. Shabazz and Spanguli and Emma, I'm Matthew and Kobe. I'm Matthew Sosi. Go see a good movie. You deserve it. You're listening to Film Sociology or watch Spanguli on MeTV. You're watching Film Sociology and listening to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD to the point and WFYI.org. We're gone.